I don't think many of us would argue with the fact that there are certain things about God, specifically Christianity, that are pretty unsettling. Now, if we're honest, we're going to say there's a few things that are a little unsettling about our faith. But consequently, sometimes because of that, we start to have doubts. We all do, if we're going to be honest this morning. Now, on the other hand, there is something about a godless universe like we learned about last week. And if you haven't heard that message, I, I really would encourage you to go back into online, into our website, and re, or into your app, and, and just hear last week's message, because it's, it's very foundational. But there's something about a godless universe, like we learned about last week, that, that reduces everything to, to the laws of physics and chemistry and biology. And for some of us, well, for me, I can speak for myself, that's a, a unsettling as well. And a lot of us, in fact, the reason we're doing this series is because more and more people in this country would say, you know what, to be honest, I kind of feel stuck in the middle. And as a result of that, we're seeing a lot of young adults and even not young adults, but adults in general that are walking away from the faith. And so we have these doubts and, and stepping into atheism because we learned last week that we, if we walk away from God, we're walking towards something else. And even if you're not atheist, you might be walking towards atheism. And we know that if we step into atheism, it, it, in fact, that kind of leaves me with a nagging sense of despair where there's no purpose at all. And it's like Solomon says in the Bible, you know, it's, everything is just life under the sun. And he says, you know, life is bookended by birth, and then it's bookended by, by death, and that's it. Doesn't that just feel like despair? But over here in Christianity, it feels like doubt, and sometimes we feel stuck in the middle. And maybe, just maybe this morning, some of you are in that category. And it's so, again, that is a growing percentage of our population. That is a growing percentage of believers in America. And so that's what I want to address today. I want to talk to those of you that would say, you know, I'm losing my faith. I don't remember when it happened, and this is just not doing it for me, but I'm having doubt. You might still be coming to church. You might still be bringing your kids to church because you want them to get a good sense of religion and keep them out of trouble. But you're not really sure if you truly believe anymore, and you're starting to have doubt. In fact, you might be perfectly fine only coming once, you know, pick a date, every six weeks or every two months, whatever. Well, the first, the good news I want to tell you this morning is that if you are in that category and you feel like you're losing faith and this whole Christianity thing isn't really doing it for you anymore, first of all, you shouldn't be embarrassed because this has been happening since the beginning of the history of the world. Humanity, you see, has been disbelieving in gods since the beginning. Once upon a time, the most sophisticated civilization in the world worshiped the sun. Some centuries later, that same civilization started to worship, you know, Zeus, then the Roman Empire, and then Jupiter and Mars, and now nobody believes in the sun anymore. I mean, they don't worship it. They got rid of that God. They got rid of Mars and Jupiter. They don't believe in that God anymore. There's still a few people that believe in Zeus, but they let go of that God as well. So people quit believing in gods all the time. In fact, there's this guy named Richard Dawkins, and what we're doing through this series is we're looking up famous atheist people, people that have walked away from the faith, and we're reading into their stuff because that is the stuff that our young adults and everybody else is reading to walk away from the faith. So I figured I'd look him up. And now Richard Dawkins sums it up well. He says, he writes, he says, 
we are all atheists about most of the gods that humanity has ever believed in. Some of us just go one God further. Interestingly, the early Christians, you know, the first century Christians were considered atheists by their culture because they didn't believe in the Roman God. They didn't believe in the pantheon of God and they didn't believe in Jupiter or Mars and they didn't worship Mars. So the culture and even the barbarian cultures, they considered Christians atheists because they, they no longer worshiped their gods. They didn't embrace the, the deified Caesar, so they were considered atheists. But the message that the Christians to the pagans was, hey, listen, you guys have the wrong God. It's not that we're atheists. It's just that we believe in a different God, and we think that your pagan gods are the wrong gods. And so I believe, you see, that that tension still exists today. And it's probably one of the reasons, perhaps, if I could be so bold, that perhaps some people have stepped away or have walked away from religion. And the reason I say that, and the reason I believe that, is that all of the stories of deconversion, you know, converting to Christianity is you, you accepted Christ and you believe it in your heart, and now you convert it to Christianity. Well, all of these stories of deconverting means you stepped away from Christianity, right? But all of those stories that I've heard of or that I've read about, specifically Christianity, what I found, and you're going to find too, have nothing to do with Christianity. And uh, there's a lot of reasons for walking away or stepping away from God. But when I hear these stories, it just, it just breaks my heart because I just want to say, you know, wait a minute, who, who told you that was what God was like? Where did you get that picture from? Because maybe, this might sound arrogant, or this may even sound a little bold, but maybe you have the wrong God. So deconverting from Christianity, you know, there's two or three versions of this, and maybe you guys can relate to some of these versions. You grew up in a religious environment, experienced some sort of childhood conversion, and then you transitioned to an irreligious environment, like college, or your family moved away, your family stopped going to church, or you changed friends, but suddenly you're in this irreligious environment and you liked it a lot. In fact, you liked it a lot better than the other side. And you begin asking adult questions about a childhood faith. And in response, you received faith-based answers and faith-based answers to your fact-based questions. And as one author wrote it towards the end of his book, he just said, one day it dawned on me, I didn't believe anymore. And maybe your story is a little bit different. Maybe your story hinges on something that happened. And there was some big event that happened in your life. And your story may go like this. You grew up in a religious environment. You experienced a childhood conversion of some sort. And then you experienced this faith-crushing, this faith-devastating event that just wiped out your faith or at least hurt your faith. And so you too began asking adult questions about your childhood faith. And again, you received faith-based answers to fact-based questions. And your response may be the one that this one blogger wrote, where she wrote, one day it dawned on me, I couldn't believe anymore. I wanted to believe, but I couldn't believe anymore. I could not reconcile the God I grew up with, with the reality of my life. I could not reconcile the God of my childhood, the way I was taught God was, and what God would do. 
I just could not reconcile God with reality, and I could not deny reality, so I couldn't believe anymore. Now, the interesting thing about all of these deconversion stories is that there are many deconversion stories. In fact, yours might be a hybrid. But regardless of what your story is, there's something I've discovered. The versions of Christianity that most people deconvert from share two characteristics. Now, here's what I mean of versions of Christianity. Because if you grew up in church, you grew up with some version of Christianity. It may have been super charismatic, or it might have been super Baptist, or super Presbyterian, super Catholic, whatever it may be. And there's all these different versions, and everybody who deconverts, or who steps away from religion, or who steps away from Christianity, you're stepping away. Think about this. You're stepping away from the version that you were a part of before you deconverted, or before you stepped away from Christianity. And every single version of Christianity that I've ever heard of that people stepped away from share these two characteristics. The first one I'm going to call a somebody-told-me-so-God version. In other words, here's how God was presented, and here's what I was taught God was like. Somebody told me so about God. The second version is a Bible tells me so, Jesus. Come on now. Or here's what they said the Bible said about God. So in every version where people walk away from Christianity, there's always a version of somebody told me so God and a Bible tells me so Jesus. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. Today I'm going to talk about a somebody told me so God and next week we're going to talk about a Bible told me so Jesus. You don't want to miss next week. I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's a good message. You don't want to be, uh, miss next week's. But, but the person that I think that really gets to the core of this tension between Christianity and somebody told me so God is a writer named Karen Armstrong. Now, Karen was actually a Roman Catholic nun who deconverted and became a nun. So she went from an N-U-N to an N-O-N-E. And no, no offense to Karen Armstrong. She, she's super smart. She's way smarter than I am. She does TED Talks. She's awesome. But she moved away from the Roman Catholic faith as a nun. And she was working towards this, uh, spending this career in, the, in this world of, I, I mean, I don't know it. It's religious, I think. But it's kind of a mystical religion. I don't completely understand it. And I'm sure if she was here, she would do a much better job of explaining it. But moving from one to the other... She has this extraordinary insight about religion, like, like Christianity and Islam and Judaism. And there's nothing wrong with you reading their books. You should look it up. But in, in her book, The Case for God, she writes, and this is what she says, Many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God at about the same time as we were told about Santa Claus. But while our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology remains somewhat infantile. Not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God that we had inherited and denied that he existed. And this may resonate with some of you. This may be your experience. In fact, to some degree, I'll own this, I think this is all our experience. Because most of us were presented with the concept of God when we were very, very young. So what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to talk about the gods that we grew up with. Now, these gods that we grew up with, I'll tell you, spoiler alert, do not exist. 
and you shouldn't believe in these gods anymore. The gods that we grew up with that with perhaps are the gods that one of the gods or someone that you know gods that maybe walked away from and should have walked away from because that God doesn't exist. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a God who loves you and who does exist. These are the gods of the New Testament. And the first one we're going to call, and now we came up with some creative names for you guys to remember them. The first one we're going to call bodyguard God. Okay? Bodyguard God is when they taught you as a child that God takes care of you and doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people. And then you get older, and then some really, really bad things happen to some really, really good people, and it just ends up undermining your faith. And clearly, there's no such thing as a bodyguard God because bad things happen to good people all the time. In fact, many bright people, some of them I know, have abandoned religion and the concept of God over personal pain and suffering or over pain and suffering in the world. And folks, I want to tell you that no one has ever made this argument. A good God would not allow bad things to happen to good people And since bad things never happen to good people, there must be a good God. No one, hopefully, has ever made that argument to you. That is also not an argument for the existence of God. So consequently, when we turn around and we hold bad things happening to good people against God and say, there must not be a God because bad things happen to good people. I mean, this is not an argument for or against God. This is something someone told you. And on the surface, it might make sense. But in fact, if you think about it, Christianity, and today is not about making a case for Christianity, but this is just a little sidebar. Christianity was actually started with this horrible, terrible thing happening to a very good person. If at any point along the way, Christianity had taught or presented God as a God who never allows bad things to happen to good people, Christianity would have never made it out of the first century. Because all of the best people in Christianity, all the people that you read about in the Bible, all of the heroes of the faith, all of them were treated terribly by the first century Roman Empire and by the temple. So just to let you know where we're coming from, the idea that a good God who allows bad things to happen to good people cannot exist. In fact, I don't know where you might have gotten that. You didn't get that from Christianity. And no one that I know has ever built a case for a God based on the lack of evil in the world. But here's the point. If you lost faith in bodyguard God, good. Because bodyguard God does not exist. But for some of you, and I understand that, and we're going to talk about in detail over the next few weeks, this whole idea... Uh, of a God that will protect you from bad things was, was the defining characteristic of God for you growing up where everything hinged on God will protect good people from bad things. And then you saw enough bad things happen to good people and then your faith collapsed or at least you questioned it and you had doubts. And I think this is just my opinion. Maybe you had the wrong God. Maybe. Close to and similar to bodyguard God is on-demand God. I want it now, God. Now, on-demand God, I know you laugh, but you wish God was like this, and sometimes we treat him this way, and your faith might get a little shaken if God doesn't act on demand. On-demand God is the God who responds to fair and selfless requests the way you would. 
you know, it's, it's, it's a God that where you say, hey, I don't want to change the world. I'm not asking you for big things. God, you know, I just want you to help my son or daughter get a date. And, you know, take it a step further. Why don't you help them get married and bring me grandkids? You know, that's the kind of God we want to pray to that would, otherwise, that would do things that we would otherwise do for other people, right? That God would answer my prayer. And again, I'm not asking for anything big. I just think that if there's a personal God, then when I want or need something, then God should do what I need and God should do what I want. But that's not your experience, right? You asked for an answer and heard nothing. You asked for a sign and maybe you saw nothing. You asked for a miracle and you received nothing. And so you decided, you know what? There must not be a God. And you're right. On-demand God does not exist. So it is okay to quit believing an on-demand God. But here's the question. Who told you? Who told you that God would always respond the way that you would expect? Who told you that God is supposed to and under some obligation has to respond the way that you expect him to respond? Where did that come from? That's a somebody told you so God. And that God obviously does not exist. And folks, I'm glad that God doesn't exist. And you should be glad too, because if God had given me everything I asked for when I was 15 or 16 years old, can you imagine? Man, I would be a wreck right now. And some of you would be married to the wrong person, right? Think about it. Oh, come on. Seriously, folks. Give me a something. Come on. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's the third one. And I'm not trying to be cutesy. Again, we just want these to be memorable. The, the third version of God is boyfriend God. Or, or girlfriend God, if you want to call him that. You know, boyfriend God, you just want him near you, right? Boyfriend God is the God whose presence is always felt. <gasps> Oh, I always sense the presence of God because God is with me and we sing and we read and if God is with me, then I should feel his presence. And there you're growing up and if you grew up in a church, especially growing up in a church, you had those cool kind of moments, those worship moments, you know, those camp kind of moments, those awesome quiet time moments. And you have those moments where you just sense the presence of God and then you get older and you don't sense the presence of anything. And you think, God, I want to feel your presence. And you read scripture and you do your part and you read the Bible and, and it's just kind of flat. And you show up and you come in here and people have their hands up and close their eyes and they're singing to God and, and you're standing next to them like, it must be fake because I, I, I don't feel anything. I try it. I, 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 what's going on, God? And I know I'm being facetious here because at some point along the way, you were told that God is with you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's okay, God, I want to sense your presence, but since I don't sense his presence, he must not exist. He must not be present. Well, said who? Who told you that? In fact, here's just another little sidebar for you. Did you know that we are least aware of the things that are the most constant? When you're sitting in this room right now and the temperature is perfect, you never turn to somebody and say, hey, isn't the temperature kind of perfect in here? None of you woke up today and said, hey, I feel like an American. You guys feel like an American today? So the things that are most constant are the things that we are least aware of. 
But the point is, where did you get the idea that somehow you were to constantly feel or experience the presence of God? Well, somebody told you so, God. They set the expectation, and then you went for a month, a year, a long time, and you didn't feel anything. I mean, even Mother Teresa, she wrote about that fact, that she went for many, many months and years without ever feeling or experiencing the presence of God. Because boyfriend God or girlfriend God does not exist either. And here's a big one that we try to run from the quickest, and that is guilt God. Now, but somehow we can't seem to extrapolate ourselves from guilt God, especially with certain religions. It takes the longest to kind of unwind from this God. And this is a God that chases us throughout our adulthood. And now this is a God that we, we just want to quit believing in, but somehow this, this God just haunts us. And very few people are ever able to finally say, you know, I just don't believe in that God who grew up with the guilt God. Guilt God controls you through guilt and fear. And guilt God says that if it's enjoyable, the answer is no. And if it's sexual, then the answer is no, no. This God, you know, he loves you, but he doesn't like you very much. So now let me ask you this. Who told you about this God? Was it a priest? Was it a pastor? Your parents? Where did that come from? You know, that's a somebody told me so God. And if you are one of those few lucky people who grew up in this high guilt environment and you've been able to move so far away from this guilt God and you quit believing in this God, then congratulations because isn't life better without a guilt God? And then here's another one. And this is a big one. This is anti-science God. And this is, I'm going to admit it, from the pulpit, this is where the church has done a horrible, horrible job with the anti-science God. This is the God where you're forced to choose between undeniable science and unreliable religion. And here's what the tension is like. Okay, I know what I'm taught at school. I know what they're saying in school. I know the advances are so undeniable but my mom and my dad and my grandma, my pastor and my priest, come on. This is so undeniable. So your conclusion is that religion is unreliable. And when religion and science conflict, at the end of the day, if you're an honest person, science must win. But the message that we get sometimes and the message that you grew up with, and perhaps the reason you just walked away from God, is that you grew up with the message that said, Quit thinking and just start believing. How many times have you guys heard that? Just believe. You don't have to think. Quit thinking. Quit asking all those questions. You just have to believe. You just have to believe. Now, we're going to talk about that one in a couple of weeks, too. But this whole thing that religion is just based on belief, that isn't true. That's something else somebody taught you about that is absolutely not true. Yes, we become Christians through faith, but we're not Christians because we just believe things. That's absurd. And if you grew up with that kind of faith, well, no wonder why some people may be walking away. Again, Richard Dawkins nails it, and here's what he says. One of the truly bad effects of religion is that it teaches us that it is a virtue to be satisfied with not understanding. That it is a virtue to say, well, we don't have to know we just believe. But here's the deal. Your Sunday school God probably could not be reconciled with science. I, I understand that. 
Your Sunday school God, the God that your church left you with, maybe it's even this church, that he left you through a middle school or a high school and, 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 and never went beyond that, that God probably cannot be reconciled with science. But here's the good news. God and science, we don't have to choose. It's a false alternative. And I can prove that to you through our very own behavior. Us Christians, when it comes to this, and if you're thinking of walking away or agnostic, atheist, or, or you don't really believe that much here this morning, this is probably, I'm about to give you some ammunition, so don't repeat it outside of this room. It's just between us right now. Here's what happens, and all Christians' parents do this. When your kids get sick, and I mean really, really sick, where do you take them? To the church? You take them to the doctor, right? And you take them to the hospital, and the doctor examines your child, and then he tells you, you know, this seems serious, they have a fever, we're going to draw some blood, we're going to take some labs, we're going to send it to the lab, and, and we're going to call you tomorrow. So on the next day, you're sitting there standing by the phone, and you call all your friends, and you say, hey, please pray for my child, because they have this, this, and that, we don't know what's wrong. But here's the key, you're still sitting by the phone, aren't you? Even though you have all those people praying, you're still sitting by the phone. And the phone rings, and we get the labs back, and the person on the other end of the line says, hey, we looked at all the labs, and here's what we concluded. We really believe that God is trying to teach you something. Not one person in this room would accept that. We want a natural explanation, and then I want a natural solution, and I want you to tell me what's wrong with my child, and then I want you to prescribe something in a course of treatment, or explain to me what we're going to do in the real, tangible, material world to fix and heal my child, right? Come on. Because when it comes to illness, and when it comes to sickness, come on, come on, we are all about science, right? Right? Mm-hmm. I'll say it all by myself. It's okay. <laughs> and the moment that your theology conflicts with the discoveries of science, you have a theological problem, not a science problem, because we all know that science is going to win. Amen? It's okay to agree. And one of the things that we have done a terrible job of through the years as Christians and as a church is that we've sent our kids off to college, universities, and graduate school with this false sense of conflict between faith, religion, and in our case, Christianity, and science. Think about this for a second, folks. We lean into science for our health. Why do we reject science in every other capacity? It is a false alternative, which means that if you felt forced out of your faith, if you felt forced away specifically from Christianity because of something that you've learned in school, biology, chemistry, math, physics class, I am so sorry that someone presented you with anti-science God. Because what Christians believe and what I believe and I pray and hope that's what you believe, that Christians have historically believed is that God is the creator of the universe. And everything we discover is a discovery about how God did it. Amen? 
which leads to my last and final candidate in our gods of the New Testament. You guys are probably saying, thank God. We're going to call this one. This is an even bigger deal for many of us Christians. In fact, I would say many of us fall into the trap of worshiping this God, and we're going to call this God Gap God. Gap God as, a, as opposed to American Eagle God or Abercrombie God. It's just think Gap. Now, the Gap God, in fact, I bet all of you guys are guilty of this. And again, we set the next generation up for unnecessary tension. The Gap God and the idea of a Gap God is that God conveniently shows up as an explanation for everything that we can't currently explain. So every time something happens that we can't explain it, we just say, oh, it was a God thing. It was a God thing. You might be at the mall during the holidays, especially Brea, and you say, God, please help me find the parking spot. And then this guy pulls out, and you pull in, and then you're like, oh, that was a God thing. That was a God thing, right? Maybe, maybe not. But if we're not careful, our entire faith begins to rest on a God who shows up and explains as an explanation for the unexplainable. And ultimately, and this is so huge, this does not build faith in God. In fact, it undermines it because the list of things that we can't explain is getting smaller and smaller. And that's a good thing because don't we all hope that at the end of the day, we're able to cure every single disease? Now, here's the thing. Don't forget this. And let me just say, if you lost faith because the only God you were ever presented with was Gap God, Again, I think that's the church's fault. And I don't blame you for having doubt or trying to walk away because gap God doesn't exist. And here's why. Because unexplainable today may be explainable tomorrow. So if your faith, if your confidence in God rests on unexplainable things, it's just a matter of time before your faith goes bye-bye because hopefully more and more of the things, especially the important things, will become explainable. Christians have to be careful. And here's why. Unexplainable is not evidence for the existence of God. And you need to underline this. You need to mark this. You need to eliminate this from your conversations with your kids and your grandkids. Unexplainable is not the evidence for the existence of God. Unexplainable, in most cases, is evidence for the existence of ignorance. And Sam Harris, who is a famous atheist, again, says this, and it's such a great line because he says, we must pay attention to the frontiers of our ignorance because on the frontiers of our ignorance is where new things are discovered and found. And folks, somebody needs to be out in the frontiers of our ignorance, coming up with explanations for things that we can't explain. And I'll even go this far. If everything were explained and explainable, it would still not explain away God. We don't need to be afraid of that. And this is one of those fears that permeates the church. It's like, well, if we know everything, then we are God. No, we're not. We don't need to be overwhelmed with the unexplainable. We don't need to allow our faith to rest on the unexplainable. Our faith actually rests on what is explainable because, again, we believe that the universe is exactly as it would if we were to predict that God is a creator of the universe. So the gods that we grew up with, 
the gods of the New Testament that somebody told me so gods, the bodyguard God and the on-demand God and your boyfriend God or guilt God, anti-science God and gap God, guess what? They do not exist. And if you quit believing in any of these, here's what I have to say. Two thumbs up for you. Great job. Way to go. It's like Cupid. Some of you guys are still holding on to Cupid. Cupid doesn't exist either. Come on, people. Here's my final point, and this is huge, okay? I know this is a serious message. It's intended to be. These are not reasons or arguments for or against anything. Because I know right now, the one thing that I am creating right now are questions. And some of you are saying, well, what about, or, or you left out, and I know, I know. That's why you have to be here next week. And I only get 30 minutes. So just be patient. We're just getting started. But here's what I want you to consider as we wrap up. These are not arguments for or against anything. You know what these are? Unmet expectations. These stem from these childhood explanations, and in some cases, they're ill-informed, uneducated interpretations. And for some of you, and I think you would agree, blatant manipulation. So here's the question that you have to wrestle with this morning, and I had to wrestle with. Where did your view of God that you struggled to believe in originate? Where did your view of the God that you have a hard time believing in that's causing doubt originate? Did your God ever grow up? Or did you just outgrow your God? Did you carry childhood God into adulthood and it just couldn't withstand the rigors of adulthood? And you just said, well, that God, if that's the only God, then it's the only God I was ever presented with. With that God must not exist. And my point is simply this. I'm suggesting that if you walked away, or if you know people who walked away, or if you're thinking of walking away, you may have unnecessarily walked away from the wrong God because they never that God never existed. It was a somebody told me so God, and nobody, and I mean nobody needs that God. Now next week, you need to be here to listen to the Bible tells me so Jesus. It's going to change your life, I'm telling you. And not only do you need to be here, you need to bring somebody that you know is having doubt because that's what this whole series is about. It's serious, serious talk we have to go through in this century, in this year, because folks, look at the chairs. It's happening. Don't let it happen to you or your loved ones. But before we do that, let me pray for us. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I just thank you that for this church where I can just talk about these things. Father, for everyone here that this resonates with, Lord, I just pray that you do that thing that we can't do. That you would just start to stir hearts. And Father, for the man or the woman that they want to believe in, and they want to believe, but they just can't anymore. Lord, I know that you understand that too. So, Father, we are prayer this morning. My prayer this morning is like that man who brought his boy to you, Lord. And that man just cried out and said, Father, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Father, help my unbelief. Lord, we just say to you, and, and I ask you on behalf of all of us, that, that you would help our unbelief. 
Lord, not faith in faith, faith in you, the creator, the sustainer of life, the creator of the universe. And Father, we'll do our part, Lord. We just ask that you would be faithful and allow us to just continue to learn in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.